0: Well, good morning, guys. Welcome to Wells Branch Community Church. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Phil Kwan. And uh, before we start, I just wanna say it is an incredible privilege and honor for me to get to be here with you guys this morning. Um, Today, I'm excited to share with you a little bit of my life and my story, especially from this last year. But most importantly, I'm excited to get to share with you from God's word. Now, before we dive into that, I would love to pray for us in this time. Uh, Well, Father, we thank you and praise you that you are good, that our hope everlasting comes from your son, Jesus. And I pray, God, that today, as we dive into your word, as we finish up this series, Lord, that this would be a great time of encouragement um, for this community, for this church, for my friends. And Lord, we lift this time up to you. We thank you, God, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, this morning, I'm so excited to be here with you guys today. We're finishing up the series, Joy Unshackled, as we look through the book of Philippians. Uh, If you have any particular questions, you can send a text to this number. I don't know where this number actually goes, but you can still send questions and someone will answer those questions for you. Uh, Today, like I said, I'm so excited to be here. Uh, if you didn't know, back in 2013, my wife Brandy and I, along with our four-month-old daughter, we actually moved to the Austin area to join Wells Branch Community Church and be a part of the staff. Now, at the time, we were actually still meeting at the Wells Branch Rec Center in the basketball gym. And in those days, if you if you uh, weren't a part of Wells Branch at the time, man, you missed out. Because those days were crazy. We would have to get to the Rec Center before. Uh, the the sun rose in in the morning to unload a trailer and set every single piece of equipment up for church. I mean, every single chair. We even had to build the stage. And for the record, I don't know Grayson where you are, but you never really helped us build the stage. You'd always just complain that we were going too slow. So. Uh, And then after service was over, we would have to pack everything back up to shove it into the trailer and don't even get me started on children's ministry. And it's incredible to see how much those things have changed up to today. Uh, It it is true that there is a lot that has changed, but there's also a lot that has stayed the same. The church moves forward. God is still on the throne. He's still ruling. And of course, Craig Kelso is still running sound. Yes, (laughs) yes. Well, like I said, it's so good to be with you guys. You know, uh, being back uh, into a mode where we're locked down or staying at home, church, online, all of these kinds of things may seem challenging. But the truth is, is that we all know how to do this at this point. We're all experts uh, to some degree. We, we know how to handle this kind of circumstance. But because we're moving back to online services, it's a good opportunity for us to take a moment and reflect on the last four months, uh, five months of of what our circumstances have been. Back, if you remember, all the way to March, what feels like a hundred years ago, uh, when the pandemic was starting to really grab a hold of our attention and our minds. Remember where you were back then. If I'm being perfectly honest, back in March, while the rest of the world was grappling with the reality of COVID-19, for Brandy and I, we weren't really thinking about the pandemic. We weren't really thinking about all of the chaos that was going on. And that was mostly because we were 39 weeks pregnant when all the churches started locking down. We were very eagerly anticipating the arrival of our fourth baby, of our first son. Now, this is a huge deal because if you know us, we actually have three daughters, uh, uh, Sam, Abby, and Jojo. We had three girls. And fun fact, every time that we would have a baby, the Plek Poles would also have a baby. So uh, Sam and Austin are two weeks apart. Uh, 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 Avonlea and Jet are two weeks apart. And I think Jojo and Titus are two months apart. There's this like, rumor going around that we were competing on how many kids we can have. And we were just competing with one another. So it was a huge deal when we found out we were having a boy. And that was what was captivating our attention. Uh, while the rest of the world, uh, while the rest of you guys were were uh, rushing to grocery stores to hoard toilet paper uh, and Uh, face masks and hand sanitizer. Brandy and I, we were very casually stocking up on diapers and wipes. That was our world. And sure enough, on March 21st at 12.05 p.m., we were at the hospital and we delivered our baby son, Shepherd. Now, as much chaos as there was outside in the world, inside that hospital room, there was great joy and peace. Our circumstances were totally wrapped up around the peace of being there with our baby. And we were very eager to get out of the hospital. We were eager to not stay an extra day in the world's most expensive hotel. So the next morning, we started packing everything up to race out of the hospital. The nurses told us that they were were gonna have to run some standard screens and tests for our baby to make sure that he could be cleared to leave. We just assumed that we would be out of there within a few hours. Auditory screen, hearing screen, vision screen, all that kind of stuff. The last test that they had to run was something called the CCHD screen, the critical congenital heart defect test. And as I was moving our bags out to the door, uh, I saw that the nurses had this very troubled, puzzled look on their face. Shepard's blood oxygen level was dangerously low. So low in fact, that the nurses just assumed that there was a mistake, that the machine was broken. So they literally carted that machine out and brought a new one in to test him again. But this time and this time the numbers came back just as low. Something was very, very wrong. And from that moment on, everything, everything just went upside down. We were rushed to the NICU. Uh, Our perfect little baby boy was wired up with all these leads and monitors, IVs, machines everywhere. And uh, after a few hours of trying to figure things out, our neonatologist came over and she just said, we don't know what's wrong with your baby, but he needs help. And then she offered to pray for us. And that's when I knew this was something very, very serious. We were rushed to the cardiovascular ICU at Texas Children's Hospital downtown. Because of the coronavirus, we couldn't ride in the ambulance with him. They, were, they separated us. We finally got to the hospital, and, uh, and when we got there, there was just a swarm of doctors and nurses uh, surrounding our baby. And uh, for Brandy and I, we were just stuck there. We were lost in the corner, wondering what was going on with our child. We were feeling afraid. We were feeling like we had completely lost control of the situation and sure enough we found out many 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 hours later that shepherd was diagnosed with a condition called total anomalous pulmonary venous return essentially all of the the blood vessels that that bring good blood from the lungs to the heart were emptying into the wrong side of his heart his body was essentially being completely suffocated and starved of oxygen and unless he had emergency open heart surgery he would die. We would lose our baby. And um, we were feeling it, you know, the crushing weight of of our circumstances. And then after uh, the doctors told us what was going on, they told us actually that because of COVID-19, that only one of us was allowed to stay in the hospital. The other parent would have to leave, and that parent wouldn't be allowed back into the hospital. And so we decided that Brandy would stay for an indefinite amount of time until Shepard got this surgery and was able to return, uh, come home. And I would leave. I got into my car. And as I was driving home, I'll be totally honest, I wept in the car because I had never felt so alone, isolated, lost. I felt imprisoned in my circumstances. And I wept because... I didn't know if I would ever see my son again. And if we're honest, you know, many of us, we, don't, we may not have experienced this level of pain and this level of fear, this level of anxiety and stress, but the truth is, is that we all experience crisis. Every one of us right now is experiencing a crisis on some level. Honestly, most of us, were experiencing many, many crises at the same time. And unfortunately for us, what was once a far off thing, something that was on the news, something that was across the ocean has now come very, very close. We're feeling this acutely. Crisis has become intensely personal. And all this fear, anxiety, uncertainty, isolation, all of this sickness, loneliness, even sent, uh, a sense of purposelessness as we're stuck inside a pandemic, economic uh, collapse, societal ruin, racial tension, and anxiety, policing, political turmoil—all of this. The question is: Is how are we supposed to experience any kind of joy? If this series is called "Joy Unshackled," how are we supposed to experience that kind of joy? That is exactly what we're talking about today in the Book of Philippians, chapter four, verses ten through. 23, we find the Apostle Paul finishing up this letter that he wrote to a particular community, a community church in the city called Philippi. And he was distant from them. If you remember from the rest of the series, Paul was under house arrest. He was socially distanced, not because of a pandemic, but because he was a political prisoner, because he was a religious prisoner. And yet through the whole letter, we see that he's experiencing great joy, even in the midst of his terrible circumstances. And so the question is, is how is that possible? How is it possible for him to experience that joy? And how is it possible for us to experience joy even when the whole world around us feels like it's falling apart? Philippians chapter four, verses 10 through 23 starts this way. It says, Paul speaking, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul begins this letter by just, uh, begins this section of the letter by just stating that he is rejoicing. This word rejoicing is, of course, a callback to the first part of. Philippians 4, where he commands or he tells the Philippian church the command from the Lord is to rejoice in the Lord always. He even says it again. Again, I say rejoice. And now he's saying, I am applying the application of that message into my own life. I am living this out. I am rejoicing. And the question is, is why? Why is he rejoicing? He explains that the reason why he's rejoicing is because of the Philippians Concern that they have a care for him, that even though they are separated and apart, this Philippian community, this church loves him and cares for him. The word concern in Greek is the word freneo, and it's actually the same word that he uses over and over and over again in the book of Philippians to talk about this idea of mindedness, of being unified in concern or of mind. In Philippians chapter 2, for instance. Paul says, I want you to be of one mind, to be united, to have concern for one another. He says that you ought to have concern for others' needs ahead of your own. And then he says, I want you to have this, this mind, this concern, that is the same as Christ Jesus, who humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so Paul says, I want you to have this same mindedness. And then Paul says, you're already doing it you have concern for me, we are of one mind. And the trouble that I'm experiencing, you guys are experiencing with me. And even though Paul says that you know, they couldn't be together, even though there was a time where they were separated and they couldn't physically be in the same space and the Philippians couldn't tangibly provide for those needs in, that, in their concern, Paul says, I want you to be comforted. He says, I want you to know that I have contentment and joy right now. Even though I'm in prison, even though uh, my circumstances are just terrible, I want you to know that I'm feeling content. How is this possible? He lists out all of these different circumstances, hunger uh, and need and being low, but also being, uh, being in plenty, of abounding in every single circumstance. And so Paul makes a point of making sure that we understand that contentment is not about ignoring circumstances. And I think a lot of people today want us to ignore our present circumstances, to turn a blind eye to the chaos that's around us, just pretend like nothing's happening, find some kind of silver lining and focus on that. But uh, as Chris often says, that's not real joy. That's not really engaging with our reality. Uh, Instead, uh, what the world tells us to do is to, medicate, alienate, isolate, none of these things really bring a lasting joy. Instead, Paul says that his contentment comes from a different source beyond his circumstances. At the end, he says, I have learned the secret. And what is that secret? He says that I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul's focus is on a person, someone else who's providing him the means, not just a physical strength, but in every way providing for him to move forward in the purpose and mission that's been given to him. Who is the him that Paul is focused on? It's Christ. It's Jesus Christ, of course. Where does Paul's source of contentment come from? Paul says that it is Christ. It comes from him who strengthens. It is the gospel, the assurance of God's unrelenting unfailing rescuing love that sustains paul that no matter how horrible his circumstances are no matter how deep the well of sin that is in him or surrounding him he knows that at the end his hope is in christ and his joy is in the in the promise that christ will rescue us and rescue this world what paul says Over and over and over again, that to live is Christ and to die is gain, his focus is on the promise of God. This uh, idea that our contentment is found in something beyond us, not in our present circumstances, but in the hope that we have in the future, reminds me of the worst job that I've ever had. If you ask a lot of people what their worst job was, it's probably food service. I don't know if you've ever worked fast food. I worked fast food in college. uh, And on top of that, I worked at Sonic uh, as a car hop. Uh, uh, And if you're wondering if... uh, if you're thinking that working at a, a fast food joint is terrible, then multiply it a uh, hundred times w- when you think about having to do that job on roller skates. And just so you know, I did car hop in roller skates. And it was terrible, guys. It was just, it was truly awful. I I highly encourage you to avoid this fate if ever possible, if at all possible. I remember the first thing I did uh, w- Uh, as a car hop was I brought this guy to Route 44, Dr. Peppers, and I like slipped and I crushed the the cups into his car. It was really embarrassing. Uh, And yet, as difficult as that job was, as painful and frustrating and horrible as my circumstances were as a college senior working at Sonic, the truth was, was that every single day I came in with unbelievable joy. I was excited to work there, and every day after uh, my shift, I would go home singing. And the reason why, was because I was suffering through all of these things so that I could save money to buy a ring. So that at the end of my time in suffering, in these circumstances at, at Sonic, I could buy a ring to propose to the love of my life. That was the hope. That was the plan. That was the future. That was the promise that was awaiting me. And so regardless of how sticky the floors were, regardless of how terrible my coworkers were and how many times they stole from my wallet, it didn't matter because I was focused on the promise of a hope and a future. And so we see that Paul is content in all circumstances through Christ, not ignoring the present reality, but his eyes fixed on the future. And yet there's more. Paul doesn't just end the letter here because remember this letter is a a note to a community of people that he loves and cherishes dearly. And we know that because in verse 14, he begins by saying yet, despite this or regardless of this fact, and yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. Paul doesn't simply shrug off the Philippians. Instead, he says, yet, meaning this whole commentary on being individually content in his own heart was really just an aside because he wants to drive at the source of great joy in his life in the midst of his circumstances. Paul says that it was kind of you to share in his trouble. He values this community. And he specifically states this in this phrase, share in my trouble, which can literally be translated partaking with me in my pressing. The word trouble means this burden or this pressing, this crushing. He says, it was kind of you, it was generous of you. I'm so grateful that you were sharing that pressing with me. And while we might not be experiencing the same kind of pressing that Paul did, we can certainly relate to feeling pressed now for me. In that experience, driving home, I felt pressed, I felt crushed, and when I finally got home, when I got home and my three daughters were there, I remember helping them go to bed, walking into my bedroom alone in the dark and just sitting on the, on the floor, weeping, feeling utterly, utterly crushed. We know how that feels. Paul says it was kind of you Philippians of the church to share in it because we are not meant to bear this crushing, this pressing alone. Paul says that while we have contentment in the deepest depths of our hearts, God created us to cherish the provision that he gives to us through our community. He says, and you Philippians, verse 15, yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Paul explains to the Philippians, he reminds them that they were partners with him in ministry even when he was in a different church, even when he was at uh, at a different church in a different city. He says that when he left the Philippian church, when he left Philippi and went to Thessalonica, even then, even then the Philippian church provided for him, cared for him, had concern for him, shared in all of his suffering, rejoiced in his victories, all of these things. He says that you were partners with me in this giving and receiving together. And what I love about this, what I love about this is that, you know, first, God could give us everything we could possibly need. Like he could literally... Rain down provision from the sky if he wanted to. And if you read the Old Testament in the book of Exodus, we see that he literally does that. The the people of God, the Israelites, were wandering through the wilderness without food and water, and God literally rains bread down for them. Later on in uh, in the Old Testament, we see Elijah uh, uh, alone in a cave, and he's crushed. And it isn't uh, a bunch of uh, you know, it, it was God who brought these care packages in in the form of ravens bringing him food. God can do these things, and yet there is something so meaningful and special about the community of God providing for one another. It 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 connects to this deeper. Uh, human, uh, the, the thing that God made us for. It's hardwired into us. It's divinely inspired into us that we were made for each other. And when we share with one another in provision and in celebration and in grief and in mourning, there is something that is produced that is more than the sum of its parts. There is great joy that springs up, that springs up. Paul says, even when he was at a different church, the Philippians provided for him and cared for him. And what's so amazing about that is that in this world and in this culture where uh, so much of our society is about contractual uh, arrangements, it's about, you know, I pay you for services rendered and then you give to me what I paid for. Paul says that this is not the way the church operates. Pastors are not service providers. And you, my dear brothers and sisters, my friends, you guys are not customers. Uh, Wells Branch Community Church doesn't do this so that they could uh, extract a fee. Instead, this is about a community of believers, a family of believers engaging together, sharing with one another, sharing in the pressing together. Paul continues saying, I have received full payment and more. I'm well supplied having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Verse 19, he says, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and the glory in Christ Jesus to our God and father be glory forever and ever, amen. Paul says, all of this is not about paying out It's not about getting something in return. It's not about pastors being, quote, compensated for their work. Instead, it's God richly providing for all of us together as we share with one another, and then us moving forward together as a community, as a family, and showing the rest of the world what it really looks like to be the family of God, to be the family of God. And so Paul, despite the fact that he knows and he shares that he is individually content because of his hope and his future in the life death, and life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, he is still cherishing the community that he has. Paul cherishes his community. Finally, finally, Paul finishes his letter in the same way that he began it, with a heartfelt greeting But this closing is far more than just a sincerely yours. Instead, he gives certain instruction to this Philippian church, to this community. This church that already has a kingdom mindset, he wants to emphasize, I want you to remember the community, the larger community that you're a part of. Paul says in Philippians 4, uh, 21 to 23, he says, greet every saint in Christ Jesus, which is so interesting because he could have said, greet the Philippian saints or greet one another. Instead, he says, greet every saint as to point out that they're a part of a much greater whole. And regardless of their city, regardless of their church, regardless of their denomination, regardless of their socioeconomic status, regardless of their race, regardless of their political affiliation or leaning, regardless of where they went to school, regardless of where they were born, regardless of all of these things that the world wants to use to divide us. And unfortunately for many of us have suffered greatly at the hands of, Paul says, regardless of all those things, remember your citizenship, your citizenship to heaven. Philippians, in, earlier in the, in the book, in the letter, he says, live in a manner worthy of your citizenship of heaven. And so he's reminding them again, we are one in Christ. So greet all the saints. And Paul extends greetings from the people who are with him, the brothers who are with me. Greet you, all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar, Caesar's household. And then he finishes by saying, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. He leaves with a statement of grace God's unmerited, unbelievable favor as a fitting conclusion that this grace, the source of our contentment and peace is also the foundation of the joy that we have as a community, a family of believers, a kingdom of priests, a community of adopted sons and daughters. And that is how Paul ends. That's how Paul ends by encouraging the church to celebrate the kingdom of God. And so he begins by saying that our contentment is found in Christ. And then he explains that he celebrates and cherishes community. And then he concludes by commanding and and reminding us to celebrate the kingdom of God that we're a part of. Now, what does this mean for us all together today as we are physically apart? What is this passage? How does this encourage us today? First, if you're not a Christian, if you're not a believer, maybe someone is listening to this message and you're in the kitchen trying to fix yourself breakfast or something. Maybe uh, you decided to jump on because it was on your newsfeed, on Facebook. Whatever the case may be, the reality is, is that you are being pressed. Every one of us is being pressed. And that pressing isn't just about our present circumstances, it's about our human circumstance, which is that every one of us is broken by something called sin. We are separated from God and there is nothing we can do to bring ourselves back to relationship with Him. The penalty and the consequence of that separation, our scripture says, is death, is loss. And yet, God, in His great love for us, sent His Son Jesus, who willingly came in obedience, Philippians chapter 2, in obedience that led to death, even death on a cross, so that He could rescue us from our sin and our death. He nailed our sin to a piece of wood. He was buried and on the third day he rose again so that to all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he would give the right to be called children of God. And so this morning, I want to encourage you and implore you to accept the free gift of eternal life through Christ and find your contentment in something beyond your circumstances, a hope for a future and a life in Christ. Uh, the word, uh, I I was reading something earlier this week uh, from an author named John Piper. He says, count God, count God your only lasting treasure for he is the only sure and stable thing in the universe. And that is what we need right now. For those of us who are believers, who are Christians, this is my encouragement to you. Remember that the gospel is not only our source of internal Commit contentment, but it is the fuel for our joy in engaging our community. We are sharing in the pressing, in the trouble, not because we must, but because it is something we get to cherish as we see God transform our world. Listen, we can acknowledge the pressing. This isn't about ignoring the present realities, but instead, acknowledging those things remembering where our contentment is com- uh, where our contentment comes from and then and then from that contentment being empowered to be agents of joy and healing to others while we may feel imprisoned in our homes think of the way that Paul himself was encouraged with great words of encouragement with gifts with acts of service as the, as the Philippians provided for all of these basic kinds of of needs with quality time, not in person but in spirit. They could they they couldn't touch each other. I mean they, they had to socially distance in that way. But in all of these other ways, they were loving one another and cherishing each other. And if you have this contentment and peace in Christ, which you do, remind yourself of the gospel, then that can be a wellspring of life as you go out and encourage others. Today I want to encourage you to go. On some online retailer and send a gift to someone. Uh, uh, call somebody up and engage with them and encourage them. The beautiful thing about socially distancing is not only does it uh, uh, not only not only does it push us apart, but it actually brings us together. Distance is no factor now, because now you can instantly connect with someone who's. 10 miles away, 100 miles away, 1,000 miles away, there is no excuse. Actually, our kids really have loved being able to spend time with the Joiner boys uh, over FaceTime. And we'll literally just put the iPad up and then just walk away. They'll just entertain themselves. It's wonderful to see them be able to interact with people that they love so much. In this moment, church, be agents of joy, no matter the distance, be agents of joy and healing to others. Truthfully, this season has been a season of celebration for us, celebration for us because the Lord has over and over and over again reminded us that the contentment that we have in the midst of our turmoil, even in the midst of our turmoil, we have seen so many of you be agents of joy in your community and in our lives, no matter the distance, that separated us. When when um, we had to separate, when I had to go home, sorry, when I had to leave the hospital, I, I remember being at home and feeling that lostness. And one of the first people I called was Dave Sheffield because he was someone who has invested in me and cared for me, and in that moment of need, I knew that I had community with someone like him. So many of you reaching out to us, and that photo of Shepard in the ICU, what I didn't show you was all of this, all of these people, all so many of you reaching out to us and engaging with us to encourage us, to pray for us, to love us. Even though we couldn't be together physically, you cared for us, and you loved us. Philippians is a book, is a letter about a pastor who was so loved by a church that even when he left, he had so much love for them. He says that even when he would pray for them, he was overwhelmed with joy and love, that he yearned for them with, the affection in, with an affection in Christ. He loved them because he knew that they loved him. Regardless of where he was. And we felt that. And I felt that. I remember a a group of families here at Wells Branch, they started mailing us stuff, just, just, random things, coloring pages and bubbles and, all, and, and sidewalk chalk and all these kinds of things so that our girls could know that they were loved while their mom had to be in the hospital. And I remember opening up one of those packages and sitting on the ground just cry. I cried a lot during that month. It was really hard. But those were tears of joy because of the incredible kindness that you showed me in your concern for us. All of you, so many of you, thank you. Thank you for, for caring for us in that season. About 20, about 18 days or so in, Shepard finally did get scheduled for his surgery. They took him to the operating room about five hours, and then he came out of surgery. God had healed his heart. And after about a week, we were finally able to bring our baby home. And when we did that, it wasn't just us celebrating. It was all of you. It was all of us together. This is, this is the church. This is what our world needs right now for us to share in our trouble together, to be agents of joy to be agents of joy. And so church, be agents of joy in your communities. Share in the trouble. Remember our contentment is in Christ alone and we can cherish the family that God has invited us into. And I promise, I promise, because the word of God promises, God promises, that we will celebrate again. Let's pray. God, you're good. God, we praise you and thank you because you are good. And even in the midst of the turmoil of our circumstances, whatever pain and whatever struggle we're going through, whatever crisis we're going through right now, God, I thank you that our contentment is found in Christ, in Christ resurrected, and we have a hope and a future in him. I thank you, God, for the community that we can cherish. And Lord, I thank you. Lord, I thank you for the Joiners, for the Fords, for the Jeskies, for the Akins, for the Bedards, for the Deckers, for the Poles, for the DeZalos, for the Websters, for so many of my friends. Lord, I thank you for Dylan and Reba and Cheeto and Trinity and Jeshua, the Trunics, for so many. I can't name them all. Thank you, God, that we are community together. And that you promise that we will celebrate again. And in the meantime, regardless of the distance, we can be agents of joy. We can be agents of joy in our neighborhoods. We can be agents of joy in our neighborhoods and our communities. We can be agents of joy in our city. We can be agents of joy in our country. We can be agents of joy all over our world to show the rest of the world to whom we belong so that they can see truly that our joy is unshackled to our circumstances. Right now, we're going to go into a time of prayer and confession. I'm going to give you a little bit of time to reflect on your circumstances, but also the joy that God is welcoming you into, and how you can apply this message, and afterwards, we'll take communion together.